Welcome everyone to the Watchmen Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. The Watchmen Podcast by Fantastic Geek pulls off our masks for episode 105, Little Fear of Lightning. Pete, it seems lately all we do is podcast the shows with people with masks, what between Watchmen and, of course, over on our Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek feed. We're talking about Mando in not one but two episodes, those up on Disney+, Plus. our podcasts available where you listen to podcasts. And, uh, uh, Pete, one of these days we're going to see a, a, an unmasked face between all of them, uh, but, uh, but not yet. Yeah, uh, feeling a little withdrawal getting uh, two episodes of the first ever live action Star Wars TV show within three days of each other last week. And it's going to be a full revolution, a full week here, Matt, before we get it. Thank goodness we have Watchmen to chew over and the unmasking the backstory of one Wade Tillman. Well, Pete, TikTok, let's not dilly dally. Let's dive on in. And now it's time to look under the hood of this episode. A radio dial warbles with news of escalating tensions as the nuclear doomsday clock stands at one minute to midnight. In 1985, Hoboken, New Jersey, a school bus stops and lets a group of identically dressed young men off at a fair. They pray with an older gentleman before they enter on the brink of extinction. One young man looks down contemplatively at the Watchtower magazine and the older group leader urges Wade to get going. Tick tock, tick tock. Side note, Matt, these are Jehovah's Witnesses because of the Watchtower magazine. The man is not a pastor. There are no roles in uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, what are they headed into? They see people smooching, reading comics. Pete, they're even eating East Coast waffles. One of the fellows talks to Not Tops, you know, Pete, like from the comic book, uh, even as a punk rock gal watches in the mirror. We have mirrors everywhere. Uh, it looks like the, uh, the young man's going to be roughed up by the Not Tops, but the punk rock gal gets him out of trouble, leads him to the fun house. He explains that he's from Tulsa, and he does believe that humanity is on the brink. Is he afraid, however? Nope. Is he afraid of her? No, ma'am. Pete, that's around when she starts to undo his shirt. Yeah, the, the jacket and shirt kind of come off at once. The tie was already gone. Just one thing quickly about her introduction, and, and you know, on repeated viewing, it becomes more and more evident the first time we see the girl, she's opened her compact and all we can see is one eye in the reflection. So we're hitting both motifs. We're hitting the, the numerous reflections that take place in this episode. And we've got the, the one eye, which was great. Around this time, Matt, she's uh, disrobed him and she sees another eye. Yes, Pete, and along the way, she also has confirmed that, uh, shall we say, he has not 
ventured into the matters of the flesh as of yet. Um, but at this point, Pete, with all of his clothes, save his socks on the floor. She takes his clothes and runs. Uh, he yells into the mirror. He's a sinner. He's gotten what he deserves. With that, Pete, the appointed moment comes. It's the squid attack uh, seen by us uh, from this vantage point across the river. Uh, of course, we're not seeing New York yet, but just seeing what it's like in Hoboken. Uh, the young man stumbles out of the funhouse, seeing scores of dead in the streets. The girl is dead, eyes, nose, and mouth bloody. Uh, you can just, you get the sense, which of course is, you know, informed by the graphic novel, but that you get this sense that she died screaming. What happened? What happened? Pete, what happens next is an epic camera pullback and back and back into New York City, seeing the squid. Seeing Pete on screen for the first time ever, the thing that Zack Snyder said you could never show. Hashtag Snyder Cut Watchmen, squid free. Unfilmable. And here, so filmable, so watchable. When Wade wakes up again, the, the one eye, shades of lost even there, Matt, uh, getting up, the, uh, the mirrors, the glass everywhere, just his socks, gets outside. There are a couple other people who are still alive, some rocking back and forth. Um, uh, the panda on the watchtower, and there's another panda bloodied um, that was a prize in one of the booths. But there are people who are still alive. The Ferris wheel spins with all the bodies inside of it. The clock is visible. Uh, and time has stopped at about 11.27, 11.28 p.m. And that pullout, like you say, from the fun fair, we see Madison Square Garden is on fire. We see the, the breadth of the tentacles as New York, New York begins to play. And the squid seems to be on top of Macy's in Herald Square. Yeah, I felt like maybe there was some geographic switching around from the way things appeared in the graphic novel, but hardly a complaint on my end. Um, the playing of New York, New York takes us uh, across a cut, uh, kind of unbeknownst across time back to the present day of the story. Uh, on the TV, there are ads to come back to New York. Uh, it's so crime-free. Pete, there's people... Uh, taking in a Broadway show, a Broadway show about Oppenheimer. Pete, uh, forget your Hamiltons. How about Oppenheimer the musical? The new hit musical there. Uh, there's a couple that uh, is hiking through Central Park for hours without seeing another soul. Kind of strange. Uh, I mean, obviously, as we discover later in the focus group, they're not really attracting people. Um but the, the greatest detail, Matt, the HBO cinematic universe detail, Michael Imperioli, that's right, Christopher from The Sopranos, okay? He came back for the Italian food. How does he like his squid now with lemon and a little marinara? Quick story, Pete. One time when I was vacationing in L.A., did the Warner Brothers studio tour, had you know, adventures there, saw some stars, etc. Driving back to my to my uh, Sunset Strip hotel, 
Uh, there's Michael Imperioli on uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, Boulevard just walking. And I say to my brother, isn't that Cousin Christopher? He's like, that is definitely Cousin Christopher. And it was like, okay, only in L.A. do you see Michael Imperioli walking on Hollywood Boulevard in a decent section of town. Um, so I say, Marina to you too, Michael Imperioli. Did he mug you and take your uh, awards presentation basket like he did to the late Lauren Bacall on the show when he was out in L.A.? He did not, but maybe he was trying to go fishing in Tom's River, which is a line from the show. <laughs> Mantle-loking. Um, Pete, where, uh, aside from this commercial, where are we in the show as we see the somewhat confusing reverse title card, mirrored title, not mirrored, I guess just backward title card, Little Fear yeah. of Lightning. It's in black. We don't get the yellow this week. And again, the reflections given the focus on um, looking glass. This is uh, Clarity Consumer Research. This program that they've just had the focus group for, Come Back to New York. Desire to visit, 10. Recommend to family and friends, 10. Desire to relocate, 10. We've got a hit on our hands, right, Mr. Tillman in your Tulsa tornado hat? Well, maybe not. He reads the situation differently. He tells those ad folks that it is a failure. The people watching wouldn't admit fear, particularly those red-blooded Oklahoma men. Uh, bottom line, they won't be moving to New York City anytime soon. Yes, the uh, three million people who died a horrific, traumatizing, inexplicable death. But hey, it was 30 years ago. We're going to talk a little bit later on when we look at uh, the crank file about, you know, how has New York come back, et cetera, et cetera. But these men maintain everybody's over it. They've moved on. In Mr. Tillman's professional opinion, they ain't moving on to New York. And he suspects the calamari didn't help. <laughs> There's so many little lines in this episode that Tim Blake Nelson he takes a wonderful line and elevates it to perfection. Uh -huh. And that's one of them there. Um, we cut to him leaving his day job, going to his uh, little little rental area there, putting on his mask. Pete, some people might say putting on his face. Um, and he, he makes his way to, uh, to the police headquarters there, uh, showing up to hear Lori give a, a stirring ovation to the troops there telling them to find the church that the Rorschachs had made the video in go get her some religion yeah they've had their little black site they've put people in mirror guys interrogation pod and I just love the affectation of repeatedly referring to him as mirror guy and even offering the nickname um, but they're gonna do it her way there's only got to be about four or 5,000 houses of worship in a 50-mile area around Tulsa. Red Scare and Panda, who, though their background to this episode, and again, just provide so much, um, they're looking at photos at the desk. They ask Glass if he's a religious guy, and uh, Red Scare has turned evidence into lunch. He's eating the lettuce that was going to go bad that they got out of the back of the truck that shot officer Sutton. This, a wonderful way through effortless exposition to bring back the lettuce as a detail 
something this episode does. I mean, to have to explain what happened with the squid and everything there for people who have not read the graphic novel and who have seen the movie but don't know what it doesn't give you because it was unfilmable, Matt. Um, This episode, I mean, every episode of the series has been better than the previous, and this one delivers in spades. It does, even down to the basic throwaway line preceding the lettuce discussion, Red Scare wondering the difference between Catholicism and I think uh, Baptists. And it's just kind of like, oh, right. He was a alien. There you go. He grew up in the USSR where there's, you know, aside from kind of semi underground uh, Orthodox Christianity, like there is no religion. So, again, just, you know, you get Red Scare for so, so little, but you get him doing character stuff and helping remind you of the plot. Uh, Lori calls Mirror Guy into her office. He's keeping his mask on while in there. Those are, after all, regulations. Uh, She doesn't care. Roll it up so that she can see his sad green eyes. She's going through his file and realizes that he was in New York. Well, New Jersey on 11-2. Does he still wake up screaming? He says he sleeps just fine. She was in New York on 11-2 as well. Very interesting there that that doesn't get brought up. I mean, people know she used to be with Dr. Manhattan preceding this and comes to fruition in this scene sister knight had asked uh wade if he had spoken to his ex yet about those pills and in this scene after the 11 discussion and even dismissing him um she gets to uh, the real reason why she brought him in. What about those pills? Oh, I bugged your cactus. Yeah, it's just amazing how well-constructed this episode is. Um, we needed the conversation at the desk, with which had some focus on the cactus. For now, this seemed to make sense. Um, it, it, of course, is moving the story ball forward in terms of Sister Knight and the pills and leading towards the end of the episode. We even get reference... Uh, to how uh how wade wears reflectoline as part of his uh reflectatine yes as part of his uh part of his you know costumed character here but that uh it's the first suggestion that the reflectatine can uh, somehow stop the effects of 11-2 or something like that. And of course, it's developed later in the episode, but Laurie suggesting he's a hero to wear this material as a mask, not necessarily a costumed hero to be heroic. Yes, and does not give up the information of why Sister Knight needs the pills. That would be a violation of her medical privacy to divulge that. So I love the way you talked before about uh, Tim Blake Nelson's elevation of lines and the the number of times the the wordy things that he says in the southern draw and and just really really work at home he checks his mail there's a couple of items for a cynthia tillman as well as on uh a number of viewings a big thick eds products and supplies catalog not unlike you get you know this time of year when you've ordered a lot of things. He also has taken off his ball cap, which we see has uh, a reflectatine 
uh, uh, sewn into the inside there, uh, and in fact has put on his his mask for home, which is hidden in a safe. Uh, so certainly this notion in the previous scene of, you know, he wants to re reflect a teen. We've now seen it worn three different ways at work, in the ball cap, and at home. Uh, he does, however, Pete, he opens up his beans, uh, bean juice. I just, I love that scene, that little bit from the uh, fr from the graphic novel there. Makes me always think of that whenever Wade's chomping down his beans. He settles into a nice, wholesome episode of American Hero Story <laughs> where... It's Captain Metropolis and Hooded Justice and Flagrante Delicto. Yeah, just to flash back for a moment, um, when he's opening the beans, great uh, reflection off the refrigerator there. Uh, but yeah, to American Horror Story Minutemen, and uh, not exactly maybe what we thought we were going to see here. Um Hooded Justice does not want Captain Metropolis to look at him, but Captain Metropolis knows he's beautiful under that mask, and Hooded Justice tells him he's never going to see his face. Which, I don't think this is even theory territory exactly. I have no question in my mind, Pete, that that is there to keep the mystery of Hooded Justice uh discussion just in the back of our heads enough for them to do something with it uh and of course it's been well established that american hero story it's you know a lousy adaptation of true events and whatnot and here it's played off as this is what people watch about masked hero stuff from the past and it's so kind of salacious and shocking that it makes it makes the uh the very pious wade stop eating his dinner beans and it's doing all of these story things all at once, doing, you know, giving a story moment for Wade, having us check in with a larger cultural thing going on in their world. And I propose setting stuff up to be knocked down in future episodes. But a siren wails. He turns off the TV, he takes his mask off. He puts his hat on, runs to his bunker, uh, opens it with a combination. And on the shelter wall, there is a degree in extraterrestrial squid science for one Wade Tillman. There's a New York Times front page, presumably from uh, November 3rd, 1985. The date's not visible that says uh, millions fear dead. There is an EDS uh, clock and clipboard. He hits the button. The alarm stops. Um, we never quite see what's on the clipboard, but as he's going, presumably to log this drill, uh, the alarm sounds again, the button will no longer work. And he runs back in the house, um, tears the EDS alarm out of the closet and, uh, stomps it. And it finally stops. Yes. He ends up calling the company. Uh, they're in passing surprised that he's been running so many drills. Uh, he's run about 500 when the company recommends one every six weeks. Uh, ultimately he's going to have a new box shipped out tomorrow. Hey, throw in some more reflectatine while you're at it. Uh, and he finds himself going to bed in the bunker. Pete, he's sleeping on the couch. Okay. Oftentimes the lonely place to go to sleep as he looks at the two empty bunk beds metaphor and communication received there that he wishes he was in one one bunk bed and his lady love was in the other and he's got none of it 
and starting to hint as to why that may have happened, which we learned in a little bit. All of these drills that he's run, he's clearly overtaxing the uh, the technology, which may or may not be just a come on anyway, given some of the attitudes of some of the other people uh, throughout the episode, Reflectatine in particular as a tinfoil metaphor. Um, but the, uh, the, the gold tier he seems to be on with that company and their willingness, of course, to keep their golden goose sending out a new unit overnight because uh, obviously he doesn't want to go without it for fear of the attack, as traumatized as he's been. Um, we go from there with uh, some enchanted evening finishing up to a nice sugar-free box of Smiley O's, noting, Matt, there's a rocket ship inside this package. Yes, Pete, these focus group kids uh, don't really have much to say about the cereal. It kind of tastes like nothing, this sugar-free cereal. Uh, as he's watching this, half-watching this, he gets a page from Cynthia uh, that brings him to where she works at a pet genetic copying company. It's uh, um, Forever Pet, Matt. Uh, I'm getting their number for when they actually exist. Uh, it is amusingly staffed by twins. I'm going to assume that that's a hiring decision and not a product of the company. Um, Are they actually twins, given what we see take place? Um, I kind of read it as that's their that's their shtick. But um, ah, who knows, Pete? Maybe we'll have a, I don't know, a, maybe we'll get more information on PDPedia next week. Um, in the back lab section... Uh, Cynthia, vaguely bored and surprised that mail is still coming to the house. Um, he eyes that one of the dogs being copied is a bit smaller than the other copies. Pete, uh, he won't take the dog and it's dealt with. Yeah, uh, I'm an animal owner, an animal lover. I get what they heavily hint at, given the subtitles say flames hissing. Um there were a lot of people who were kind of bent out of shape about this. Let's remember, this is adapted from a graphic novel in which uh, Rorschach murders a dog that has uh, been fed a little girl. Um, also, so, if, if I could just add, Pete, like, if I'm surprised your people were bent out of shape of this. If this troubles you, is the show trying to trouble you or is the tr the show trying to say – Hey, look at these weirdos in the look at these weirdos who would do this. Not oh, show hurt me on my couch watching at home. It's the show saying, "So what do you think about Cynthia that she does this in such a blasé manner? Judge her, don't judge the show because I think we're meant to we're meant to say what the hell is wrong with these people that this is acceptable." Right. And I think too, and it's a question for the crank file later. It, are they cloning? It read to me like fraud like we have gotten these other dogs that look like this other dog that they can't clone them that they're you know getting shelter dogs and wade points out that the other one is noticeably bigger than the others good good question i will just let's dial back 90 seconds in the chronology here i love the shot in the front of the store 
um, where there were two Great Danes or something like that. It, it looked like it was a couple getting a divorce, and each needed each needed to take the dog with them. <laughs> and, and I mean, maybe maybe I read the scene wrong. Maybe that wasn't the intention. Maybe it was just like you and you sit there, you know. In one take, they looked in opposite directions, but it just read like we've come here, we we've come here to split the dog, and we're each going to go home with Rover, and that that's the solution. All right, cool. I'm glad we could split the bill. See you later. See you whenever. Like there was just so much in that moment. And again, this whole scene, it's this, you know, it's this weird. There's a weird um, arrogance misuse of this, particularly since they're making copies. You know, it's one thing to say, can you bring a, a pet a pet back through through cloning or things of that sort? This just feels weird. Like where where there was one, now there is two. You can clone uh, dogs in our world. Barbara Streisand actually had it done. Um, it costs about last I looked about $50,000 and there's a dramatically short window to get the DNA to be able to do that. Um, back to what you said about the great Danes, the ears Matt pricked up reminded me a little bit of Bubastis, the callback there obviously to Adrian Veidt's genetically engineered animal in the graphic novel. And certainly back to Cynthia, who clearly cares for Wade, albeit from a distance. Uh, but the MacGuffin shall be addressed now. As for the pills, it's nostalgia. And if you're not quite clear what that is, we didn't get told. It puts memories into pill form. It is highly banned. Tell your lady friend that she shouldn't use them. Wade had not said that it was a lady. But then we get, honestly, some more characterization here from Cynthia, which... If we don't ever see her again in this show, I think the characterization will still be worth it. You know, she makes reference to how he has his pick of wonderful women. Why does he keep getting drawn towards damaged women? Oh, wait, Pete, that's not just a Cynthia character reflection. It's setting up the fact that later in this episode, Wade is going to be drawn to a woman who presents herself as damaged, and I would argue is damaged, albeit in a different way. We've you know, largely been fulsome in our praise of these episodes. The one criticism I have to level at this one, right around the time that she mentions that they were together for seven years and she tried and tried and tried to convince him that she wouldn't betray him. We get a quick flashback of the funhouse, which I don't think we needed. Um, I would 100% agree that this, look, there have been discussions already, you can tell in the writer's room, what do we not need to explain for the people who read the graphic novel and did a podcast on it weeks before the show uh, came out, what do we need to do for people who have never read the graphic novel or seen the show? And this opening uh, in Hoboken is a perfect example of satisfying both. That said, you are correct, Pete. As the episode goes on, you can tell that they are unsure as to whether the audience will understand things like, remember that young man named Wade who went through all this trauma? Do you remember that 20 minutes ago? If not, let's quick cut to it so you can remember. They don't completely trust the audience. Yeah, and it's a little jarring, but again, it's it does nothing to ruin this episode. Um, at a church... 
we have the voiceover here by someone we ultimately realize is sharing in a support group explaining that his mother was in Brooklyn when it, when 11-2, the, the squid attack, the extra-dimensional uh, incursion, uh, took place, that she caught the psychic blast full on. Uh, Wade has pulled up here. He's opened his hatchback to grab a box. We find out our pamphlets for extra dimensional anxiety and you. And the photo on the pamphlet is a cat looking out a window and looking at its reflection. Um, of course, the donuts are there because it's a support group. And um, the man who's sharing says that, you know, though he wasn't born until about 10 years later, that he read an article that people, uh, parents who experience a trauma can have it locked into their DNA. Um, it's at this point that a woman enters and uh, Wade, who we now understand is the group leader, asks if she is a friend of Nemo's. Pete, only on second view did I put it together. Actually, and coincidentally, or is it, I don't know, maybe Alan Moore is writing my life. Uh, Pete, you'll never guess what I watched this week on Disney+. Plus. An oldie but a goodie. Oh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, man. Finding Nemo, who oh. <laughs> Nemo fights the squid. Also, Pete, flashback, I am eight years old in the Magic Kingdom. My dad wants us to go on this great ride. He tells uh -huh. me we're not going to be going that deep. I, however, am terrified of sea creatures and sit there with my hands covering my ears, head down the entire time as the squid attacks. Uh, flash forward to 2019, I'm watching the squid attack. I am now, I am then. I understand Friends of Nemo because they battle of the squid. Yes, and maybe some people, and I've met people who don't understand another name for Alcoholics Anonymous is friends of Bill W. So they're clearly playing with that moniker. Um, the, he welcomes the woman aboard to just complete the Nemo illusion there. Um, and the man who is sharing finishes up that he doesn't want to be one of these guys who ends up calling EDS, although he's called and hung up. Um, he doesn't want to be one of those nutters with their head wrapped in their magic tinfoil. And we get another flashback to the inside of the ball cap from earlier. One oh, day at a time, right? Eight minutes ago. I'm so glad I had completely forgotten that since nobody in our world has hats like that, and it was weird eight minutes ago, I had forgotten. Thanks. Quick flashback. Pete Wade, as the group leader here, uh, talks about everyone being together. They're all in the tunnel. Every tunnel has light. Uh, hopeful words. And what's interesting is we've seen Wade appear um, hopeless in the bunker in previous episodes in this episode. It's definitely a different uh, sense of confidence that Tim Blake Nelson is giving Wade here. Um, ultimately, they hold hands and they pray. And there really is a sense that this is, you know, this is doing what a support group should do. Uh, meanwhile, um, uh, the meeting has ended and outside, uh, he tells the blonde woman that they meet on Tuesdays as well. Um, she says that he's still crazy. Uh, indeed, he's caught in the tunnel, not out. 
Uh, she says that she won't be coming back. However, as she gets into her car, she says that he can follow her. At a bar, a small talk about smiley O's that they can't taste good if you don't put sugar on them because they, their generation, used to eat buckets of sugar and they won Vietnam, although Wade is quick to point out that Dr. Manhattan did. Um, and then they get to the subject of her vocation and she would like him to attempt to guess it, ultimately realizing that, uh, she's lying and we get the reveal that she's a radiologist or is she now they're going to compare their squid stories. Hers, of course, can't compare to his, you know, being there on 11, two. Uh, she says her squid story is Pale Horse, you know, the movie by Spielberg, won all those Oscars. It's named after the band playing at Madison Square Garden on 11-2. Then, Pete, we enter c- cinematic, you know, the cinematic sacred zone here. Pale Horse was in black and white, but the girl in the red coat, she was uh-huh. in color calling for her mother. My this mouth boy. was wide open as this was slowly being unfurled on my screen like they took schindler's list and grafted it onto watchmen and it was not disrespectful and they made it work yeah i mean the notion of the show that spielberg had to make a holocaust movie in 1992 that won all those oscars it was just the more immediate holocaust of the squid attack not you know the world war ii jewish holocaust i I dare say pete it's playing with fire and somehow they they roll through it without being burned ultimately the blonde woman loves this movie it gives her solace the only thing that give her solace in this world are film or that film and shall we say pete screwing (laughs) uh eloquently put there matt uh compared to the way the show expresses it Um, but it's the squid fall here. The watching of the movie is a face her fears type of thing. Um, and the squid fall people just pull over. It's no big deal. Um, but now they're drunk. She's going to call for a ride. Pete, she suggests he call for a ride too. And I must confess, Pete, in our, you know, crazy 2019 that we have, it kind of was like, call for rides you don't just say "Uh uh-huh keep talking while i click on my uber oh right none of that exists um she ends up out front smoking a cigarette uh tobacco cigarette matt i know he says it is an illegal controlled substance and he will not partake uh peachy decides to share the sweet smoky breath by giving him a kiss um he admits to not being out of the tunnel With that, her ride arrives. She'll see him on Tuesday after all. That ride pulls away. The pickup truck truck with a tarp over it. And just as it gets out of the parking lot, hits a little bump. The lettuce falls out. Wade runs to his car on the walkie, presumably, to police HQ. Hey, dispatch, did they ever recover the lettuce truck? The answer is no. Pete, follow the lettuce truck. Yes, he tails them and realizes he's kicking himself here. He sure can pick them out of the car to Rorschach 
masked adults, uh, one being the woman, uh, another kick in the crotch coming right up. Um, he radios dispatch again that he's positively ID'd 7K suspects. Uh, they're at the abandoned department store on rural Route 9, and backup is on the way. He checks the truck bed. There's a quick uh, glimpse of a true industries box in the back of, of the truck bed, Ooh. perhaps hinting at a larger conspiracy along with that lettuce, the ticking here, Matt, again, which at times throughout the series has only intensified the mood. Pete can't leave the truck without mentioning that he takes a gun that he finds in the uh, in the back of the pickup there as well. Heads into the abandoned store. There's a squid eye on one wall, you know, painted, not a real one. Let's relax. Uh, he also enters a set. Pete, it's a set of the church. While he's kind of checking that out, there's a flash of blue. And out of the blue, literally, <laughs> a basketball drops. Uh, Rorschach takes the ball. A Rorschach, pardon me, not the Rorschach. A Rorschach takes the ball uh, and notes to uh, either on the walkie or just yelling down the hall. There's a uh, 40 degrees south by southwest thing. And he has the ball and he's headed back to uh, wherever it came from and... Pete, with that looking glass, starts to tail the man back to the, the rest of the bunch. And glimpse something else flashing into blue light. Is it Dr. Manhattan? No, it's a square portal and the ball disappears. He draws on them, uh, but the woman calls his name. Hey, he's here. He announces that he is Tulsa PD, uh, wants him to turn it off, which they do. He's concerned less so as a cop, more so as himself, that they are opening portals. But uh, she explains that what's going on is she went through a lot of trouble to get him there, even rig that lettuce to fall off the truck. Um, there's a big guy in a Rorschach mask, meanwhile, who's just creeping into the frame behind him. He turns around, he fires indiscriminately three times, and nothing happens. They're blanks. Oh, yeah, that was us on the walkie, too. We boosted your signal. We only want to show you the truth here. They grab him. His hat falls off with the reflected team visible inside. They sit him down. Recurring image here, Matt, from the graphic novel in front of a... TV wall, um, give him his hat back. Uh, the woman takes her mask up and explains she really is a radiologist, though. And then we get another Rorschach masked man who comes and talks to him. Yes, uh, this man knows that uh, Wade is looking glass. Uh, it's the senator. And he's not a murderer. Uh, indeed, he says, uh, the senator does, Senator Joe, that he's taken over the Rorschachs to maintain the peace, to control the wackos. He took part of the bunch. Uh, the late Sheriff Judd took another half, just trying to keep them in line. Uh, their conversation is uh, interrupted by a, another basketball being transported. Hey, was that a CX-924 transportation window? What's it being tested for? 
rather ominously because now Senator Joe, though clean-shaven, twirling his mustache, it's not to drop another squid. They're going to do something new in future episodes of Watchmen. Um, <laughs> but Senator Joe is going to show Wade something that will make Wade unafraid. Uh, afterwards, it'll be time to have a squid pro quo. Pete, was there a squid pro quo offered? Answer the question. <laughs> so, so many people have pointed to this uh, episode. You know, they're 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 trolling the the current political atmosphere. Yeah, when uh, they wrote this eighteen months ago and filmed it <laughs> over a year ago, they were like, "Ah, oh, yes. this will be perfect for the hearings." Yes. Because Damon Lindelof is Dr. Manhattan and he's everywhere once he knows what's going on. Uh, but in truth, the sixth episode, we know this because of what is in the next episode. And I'm not going to speak to spoilers, but at the filming, the time of the filming of that episode, the Jussie Smollett case was happening. Um, so this was definitively well before the impeachment matter over the Ukrainian phone call and whether there was a quid pro quo or no quid pro quo. But here, uh, Joe Keene Jr. is looking for a squid pro quo. He wants uh, Angela Abar, Sister Knight, served up. He'd rather that that happen and that uh, Wade help him along with it instead of needing to send these racist Okies to her house to kill her and her entire family. He just needs her off the board a couple days while he gets things wrapped up. You know, three days, couple days. TikTok. Pete, it's almost like the episode's counting down towards something. Um, With that, Senator Joe takes out a small laser disc. It's the future, Pete. Uh, Looks like a DVD. uh, I don't disagree. I just kind of like the notion that they went for small laser discs that they're not quite (laughs) at DVD. Um, he got this information from serving on the appropriations committee. He was hoping for something with more razzle dazzle, but you get what you get and you don't get upset. Um, they showed him this video on the first day. He's taken two years to make a copy of it about to show it to Wade. Either tell the police about Joe and Wade will sound crazy or press play. Wade, of course, presses play. It's a video from Adrian Veidt. Anyone reading the graphic novel will notice that the giant squid and its eye is right behind him. This is in the room as he's getting ready to you know, press the button and whatnot. Today, when you should be watching this video, because we have multiple timelines here and they do a great job making it all clear in the video. Today, this video should be watched on January 21st, 1993. You were just inaugurated. Congratulations, President Redford. I, Adrian Veidt, am recording this message on November 1st, 1985. How could he predict that Redford was elected president? He didn't predict it. He planned it. The end is nigh in 1985. Veidt is the architect of fear. He's planning the monster to kill millions of people. The monster has come from him. Again, double duty here. It would Mm -hmm. blow Redford's mind and also it Needs to be totally clear to the audience at home that's, you know, only knows the movie or whatever your situation might be. It's all an elaborate hoax to save the world. The world will need time to heal. <gasps> Pete, that's that reference to uh, to uh, Gerald Ford being president after Nixon. There's your couple of years of healing before <laughs> the 1992 election and kind of 
you know, phase two here. In that time of healing, Vite will send small-scale squid events. And in 1993, mankind is surely ready to have the settling hand. Redford, President Redford, must be a partner with Vite. Together they can build trust and uh, just sit down for a couple more hours of video. And I'm like, yes, show it to me. But instead, um, Pete, we're going to move on to, to other things here. From the stronger, loving world that Vite has crafted to the brave new one, he's attempting to escape. There's a cauldron that we transition to that several Philipses are stirring. Uh, and Vite is being hooked up in a new suit by uh, Miss Crookshanks. He's got the hoses. He's got a rather ornamental helmet. Uh, she even pins a flower to his chest there, and he hops in the catapult. The rope is connected to him. Safe travels master, and they set him loose. He goes flying, smiling the whole way until suddenly it gets black, and he is in space, at least it appears. Um, in the background, we can see a rather imposing planet, almost immediately identifiable as Jupiter. This puts him on one of the moons of uh, Jupiter, uh, which we'll discuss firmly or not so firmly uh, in a little bit. But there are the frozen bodies of Phillips's and Crookshanks's that he has uh, previously sent out here. Remember, he talked about a use for those bodies at some point. Um, he's checking his watch, and to Debussy, he drags them, very reminiscent of the Black Freighter portions of the graphic novel, um, with a different type of use here, um, creates some kind of pattern checks his watch again. There you are. There's a satellite coming by to take photos. And we see as we pan away from the satellite's vantage point, uh, it says, save me in the bodies. The message clearly goes on, but all we see is save me D which uh, may or may not be Dr. Manhattan, or he's also asking uh, mankind or whoever might see the message to save him D. Remember what Rorschach suspected about Adrian Veidt. Rorschach certainly had questions about Adrian Veidt's uh, sexuality. I know in the graphic novel, there's other speculation that he's just disinterested in either gender. Uh, but ultimately, uh, TikTok, his time is up. He gets pulled back into his prison. Um, he's surrounded by Phillipses and Crookshanks. Um, however, it appears that it's the game warden who has pulled the rope back. Regardless, he's holding on to the rope now. He says that Vite has broken the rules time and time again. And by the power vested in him, Vite is put under arrest. All of this as Vite appears to be struggling with his breathing apparatus. Uh, may God have mercy, says the game warden, and um, you know uh, sends his sword moving towards Vite's neck, which actually then gives him air as the helmet is broken. Vite angrily spits out that there is no God, um, and the game warden admits that their God has left them. With that, Vite gets kicked in the head to end his time in the episode. 
No Mercy It Is and Mercy Perfume in the focus group here. It's, it's what mercy smells like. Careless Whisper yet again in a different form being played. Um, and again, those flashbacks intercut of the trauma that Wade suffered even before the squid attack at the hands of that careless young lady he was whispering to. Back to his storage unit, he's got his mask there, heads to the precinct. Uh, Red Scare and Panda, an even greater moment here. Panda with the head on uh, and a lollipop like Telly Savalas in the 70s or something. Um, and uh, Red Scare has a fork and a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> Um, and they're discussing American hero story, uh, that, uh, it's BS red says hooded justice was around in the forties. Dr. Manhattan didn't exist until 1960. So what says Panda, he could time travel. Uh, red says he cannot. We see the cactus come into very clear view, uh, TV language that there's going to be some use there. And Panda explains that he's watched every episode, man, that of American Hero Story, uh, Minutemen. And he's telling you Hooded Justice is Dr. Manhattan. I love that they're sitting there theorizing. I love, too, Pete, that we are returning to this notion of a time-traveling Dr. Manhattan, in part because that was the plot of the Paul Greengrass uh, film version of Watchmen that ended up not getting ultimately made. So... It's just weird that they're referring not just to like theories in their own world, but they're they the show, they the writing staff of Watchmen are kind of pulling from other Watchmen lore that didn't quite happen. Um, ultimately, though, back to Wade, he gets a call at his desk. It's from Angela, who is in the bullpen as well, but she wants an update on the pills. She's told that it's nostalgia. She's shocked, and he takes off his mask. I think we know, Pete, he's luring her in, whether it's for good or for ill, whether it's to prevent her death or just to do as the new boss says. He says that he wants to help. She puts the pills down by the cactus, and then she fesses up. Her grandfather had the pills. He claimed to have killed Crawford. Uh, that was impossible. He's like 100 years old, so she covered it up. Uh, Wade says that he's sorry. Blake comes out of the office, gun drawn orders Angela cuffed, and darn Pete if Angela doesn't get a free hand, downs all those pills, downs all those memories, and is taken away. Why, she exclaims as Looking Glass pulls his mask back down. At home, in his driveway, the hat on his passenger seat there that he gives a fleeting glance to, there's a big red EDS box on the front step, some enchanted evening playing again. And we see him walk out to the garbage can at the curb. Um, he puts the EDS box in there, but a beat goes by and he comes back and retrieves it. Another beat as he's entered the house and then a van pulls up Four cavalry members get out with shotguns as we fade to black.
let's open up the crank file to dive into some of those crackpot theories. Pete, first one up here, the Redford-Vite partnership. How successful was it? I know some of the PDPedia stuff referenced rumors of a cooling of the relationship in the 1990s. Did Redford give Vite the heave-ho all the way to the moons of Jupiter? No way. He's not there because of some kind of presidential intervention. Um, I still think we're dealing with a red herring that, that he's on a moon of Jupiter. Uh, Damon Lindelof has said in an interview this week, Europa. I don't know that we can take that as gospel. Um, perhaps he only believes he is on Europa when in fact he is squirreled away somewhere by Lady True going through these memories. If, if only there was a way that they're injecting memories into people, things they may not have experienced themselves. Well, I'm sticking with the literal that Vite is on one of the icy moons of Jupiter. Uh, Lindelof wants to say Europa. I was kind of leaning towards Io, but we can split the difference. I'll just mention as a science connection, because uh, I was like, no way Jupiter's that big from the view of the 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 uh the jovian moons um no they are there was a cool picture i had sent you pete of the the moons passing in front of jupiter and whatnot and you know jupiter gas giant etc you know gravity is a little bit different and um i'm going for the literal there pete you mentioned um you mentioned false memories and whatnot Last week, Beyond had a pharmaceutical drip in her arm. She had vivid dreams of a past that was not hers. Her feet still hurt, walking from her destroyed village, etc. Pete, here's my question to you. Is Beyond getting her mother's nostalgia, nostalgia product of uh, true uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, however, the memories at a slower, safer pace, has mom perfected nostalgia and giving it to her daughter? Or I was going to lean the other way. What came in pill form is now coming in some kind of concentrated IV, intensifying it, perhaps. Um, Angela has taken the nostalgia. She's going to experience these memories just like Will said, that she has to see it for herself. The whole thing about it. I don't know how they planned for her to eat them, um, to take them. But here we are. Uh, now she's off the board, just like Joe Jr. needs her so he can finish up these uh, last couple days. Matt, Angela is going to have these nostalgia-driven memories next episode. Only Lube Man can save us. I mean, after Angela has been a supporting player in the last two episodes, now we get... Surely next week, um, some sort of, you know, like she's in a cell, but it's like fever dream type stuff where, you know, present day, she's like, oh, you know, like moaning and, and thrashing around on the, the prison bed or the, the hospital gurney, whatever it might be. And we'll see these flashes of young Will, middle-aged Will, older Will's life, maybe even intercut with her standing there, you know, standing in the memory, um, by which we're going to get now a, presumably a better understanding of his past and everything that's all kind of, you know, come together here, particularly, you know, looking down the barrel of, uh, of, um, 
clearly the second half of the season. Uh, you know, we we reached the midpoint at the midpoint in this episode. So plenty of explanation and payoff uh, next week. Pete, let me circle back just for one moment here to uh, to Lady True, who I guess <laughs> we're all circling with this nostalgia stuff. Is Lady True not only pushing her own memories into Beyond, is she trying to create a clone of herself with Beyond having all of her mother's memories? I got a clone vibe um, when we were finally given the information uh, about Beyond, that she's the daughter. Um, And I, I think that's only been enhanced through some of these things. And then attempting now to, you know, psychoactively graft memories through this experience. I, I think it's it's pretty apparent what she's looking to do. After a rewatch, is the game warden of Phillips? Uh, and did you pick up this vibe that the existing Phillipses and Crookshanks were sympathetic to the game warden? I think it's Phillips. I haven't done the dive of let me go on IMDB. I doubt they're listing it. The mask and the mustache, um, you know, make it close enough, but not quite. Uh, I don't know the actor well enough to to know that it would be him, um, you know, in the mask with the mustache as opposed to Phillips. I, I think we're we're being led to believe that it, it could be. Um, and yeah, the way they all kind of like huddle over the master and even the game warden, um, you know, what's this, this big penalty you're under arrest. Yeah. There was a weird, um, there was a weird subservience from the game warden to Vite, which I feel like we have not seen in prior episodes, probably worth remembering what when there was the the buffalo hunt and when we first saw the game warden that was probably what episode two episode three somewhere in there so that was a year or two prior to what's going on now um if if we've read the timeline properly so certainly hints that the relationship has evolved or or vite's understanding of the relationship has evolved but um a weird vibe all around with the game warden here, although he's in probably 90 seconds of the episode. Matt, I'll start with the, uh, the reference at the fun fair in 1985 Hoboken. Uh, one uh, young man in front of a newsstand is reading the Vite Method, direct callback to the graphic novel. Yes, that one of the uh, one of the attached documents. Um, I believe, or maybe I'm mixing it up with the interview, but certainly, yes, the Vite method, uh, well referenced in the graphic novel. And I don't know, there was, there was an authenticity to that scene to be of the graphic novel and kind of sort of of the movie. I mean, one, one gets the sense that Damon Lindelof wants to surpass the movie, but does not want to, does not want to say to people, Hey, Zack Snyder fans, I know how flexible you are. Just ignore this thing <laughs> and enjoy the, enjoy my thing, not his thing. Um, one does sense, you know, joking aside, that there is this all-encompassing 
aesthetic and it, you know to be fair it is kind of easy set the 1985 stuff in 1985 just like the movie was bing bang boom it should feel feel familiar enough and then there's beyond the character there's the predilection of this episode the preoccupation with pandas yeah, and I'm not sure what to make of it. We get pandas in that portion of the story. We have the character of Panda. We have the panda uh, reference during the uh, the the you know squid self help um, uh, portion there. Um, I don't know. Mysteries abound. The um, attack and where Wade is when it happens. Okay, obviously in a delicate uh, way. Everything but his uh, socks having been taken to him. How does he not get cut to ribbons when all of these mirrors break and he's naked? Um, I think that's just kind of that's that's the flourish of the writers' room. If that's what they want to give us, I'll I'll buy it. I don't know that it's like we kind of get the glass falling. We don't get it necessarily shattering horizontally um it did cross my mind particularly when he steps out of the or when we first see him walking either through or out of the fun house or both oh i know why the story let him keep his socks because this isn't die hard he's not gonna walk through, like it, <laughs> he was in die hard three <laughs> there you go uh jeremy um, irons was <laughs> um i understand that in reality you go through a smashed uh fun house in just socks you're gonna get ripped up i think the language of the language of film and TV says his feet are covered. Don't worry about this. His feet are covered. Um, and that's enough just to get him from the interior out to, you know, out to uh, the, the punk rock girl uh, who has his clothes and he, he clutches them pretty quickly. So, you know, I, I just kind of bought it for how it was presented. So this campaign to get people to come back to New York and where I would like to say probably a little bit more familiar with these types of campaigns at the Jersey shore, having uh, seven years ago gone through hurricane Sandy and the whole stronger than the storm uh, program. And then post nine 11 scene tourism attempt to bring people to come back. My question is this 30 years, 34 to be exact. Um, I think they, they, kind of gloss over the fact it's been even longer what's the time frame on the infrastructure i'm just salivating to know like how long did it take to get new york cleaned up back up even to the point where they might even consider tourism clearly not enough people are going that you could be the only couple in central park and not see a soul and then secondary question for you to consider matt in the squid cleanup, nobody begins to suspect this is a movie prop. Well, uh, isn't it an organic? I mean, isn't it an, an organic thing that was grown? I mean, there was some movie input, there was some science fiction right science fiction writer input, but I thought that it was this organic thing, legitimately grown. Um, so I guess that's my response to that. As to New York, I'm just, I guess, first of all, I needed, watching the episode, I needed to get myself out of 
and Avengers uh, Infinity War and Endgame mindset um, because the difference is this. In the Marvel stuff, there's the snap and people disappear. In this, you have three million people that are dead and you know they're fictional characters so i i'll I'll gloss over you know the emotion the the emotion of it but just from the logistics how do you get three million bodies moved out of there how do you get three million bodies tagged in a way where loved ones can get the remains how do you start to clean up the the rampant biohazard etc etc so i would buy that unlike say a Hurricane Sandy where, you know, certainly some loss of life, but primarily a, a property issue. Um, or unlike 9-11, with, which obviously had significant death um, and property damage as well, this is, this, is on, this is a thousand times what happened on 9-11 in terms of death and what that means in terms of, as I said, recovering those bodies let alone what becomes the memorial area, what becomes the the things of that sort. I would buy that 30 years later, people just don't go there. Um, I think that it's kind of, it's kind of an emotional Chernobyl where it's just not gonna, it's never gonna feel right to go back. Um, heck, Pete, I would even be okay if the show does not return to New York. I don't need to see Lower Manhattan has been turned into you know, insert uh, memorial park or memorial placards or whatever it might be. I would buy it that the city went from, you know, six, eight, nine million people to super low number because it's just too difficult. You know, the city's all chewed up from the the recovery of moving those bodies out, you know, cleaning up, etc. Well, Lindelof was adamant that the show not be set there. Uh, to give you something different and to get a glimpse of it. I think one in the flashback and and two in this promotional campaign all works within the uh, story constraints they've set up Um, regarding Wade and what happens here. um, Was he made psychic? Is this the root of his ability to tell if people are telling the truth? Uh, I had not picked that up from the episode. I think that, I think this is just a, a useful skill of his. If the show decides to circle back on that and say, no, no, this is some sort of psychic mental thing. I would be more than okay with it. I just think he's one of these guys who can, you know, read the facial tics, read those micro expressions and, you know, was naturally attuned to that. Not that uh, now he is uh, the 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 brainiac or whoever it is that he was going to be in Incredible Hulk two that never <laughs> never happened. The leader, the leader, uh, yes. The cactus, Matt, uh, so great that it's a careless whisper into the cactus that undoes um, Angela twice. Pete, if we've learned anything here, you must speak carefully into the cactus, lest ye get pricked. So, as I mentioned in the recap, uh, Lori knows that uh, Wade was in Hoboken, New Jersey on 11-2. She stopped briefly with her ex, Dr. Manhattan, 
in New York in the crater there to see the dead, to see the cost. And then from there went to Antarctica to uh, deal with the threat of Adrian Veidt. Um, no disclosure, however, to Wade. No simpatico. No, I think that the, you know, she's all about the power play. That's why she keeps calling him mirror guy. She doesn't want, she wants to make it clear that she's not acknowledging his secret identity, his code name, that this is all nonsense. Uh, she, of course, has somebody who's had two secret identity names in her life. Um, so there's that just as a starting point, let alone she's kind of just trying to kill time to have him in there as some sort of, oh, I read your file and this and that, the other. That's all just prelude so that he can then get up and be at the door and she can ask him the questions she actually wants answered about the pills. So, you know, whether she's actually read through that file before or not, I kind of buy the, buy the low-key presentation that she's giving. Matt, Fantastic Geek uh, fancies itself as a podcast for intelligent people. Uh, I have my master's degree. You have your degree. Neither of us possesses a degree, however, in extraterrestrial squid science. I wonder if that diploma comes with a roll of reflectatine or if you just need to make <laughs> your own out of tinfoil. Um, I do wonder if the the um, the academic agency that gave that diploma, if they are properly uh, accredited through uh, through middle states and QSAC, et cetera, I somehow suspect not. I know that they're not in the world of online uh, universities. There are ones of repute and ones of, of poor uh, quality in our world. Uh, but yeah, maybe some sort of mail away thing, maybe you know maybe something like that. Timeline is repeatedly referenced in both stories in this episode, both the the real time and then whenever the Adrian Veidt story is taking place. Um, the detail about EDS sending out the alarm, can't get one till next Thursday, going to need that sooner, you know, because something's going to go down in three days. And then the way that Vite is able to uh, use his watch to figure out when a satellite would be in view of the moon Europa. Just as in the original material, which is not, you know, this is not a, uh, a re it's, a, it, it's not a, re a redo, it's a remix, it's not a sequel. Okay, it is kind of a sequel, but clearly in the DNA of this season is trying to hit the form, the storytelling form of the original. Uh, and just as the original has these counting down clocks and this kind of date with destiny, so too it seems, you know, Vite has this countdown. Who knows how often the satellite flies over? One does get the impression that it's not that often, hence the, you know, time it just right. Um, as well as this in three days' time, in two days' time. Now, as you point out, uh, Wade has a county down, or you know, not countdown thing, but something to detect an event should this be an event which occurs. So, I mean, we're all headed towards something. We have four episodes left, six, seven, eight, nine, and we're reaching that point in the story arc where it's time to pay some things off. 
Will the rocket ship inside the box of Smiley O's bring Adrian Vite back to Earth? No, but on Earth there is President Redford. I guess I had tangentially heard when uh, Avengers Endgame came out that like, oh, it's Robert Redford. He doesn't act much anymore or something. Uh, listening to the commentary track, coincidentally this week, again, Pete, Alan Morris seems to be writing my life and delivering delivering these things to me. Um, reference was made to uh, Robert Redford's presence in that movie was at the time of its filming and at the time of the recording of the commentary track, it was his last his last day making a movie. I know this is a TV show. Do we get Redford on screen or does he honor his last day working in the pictures and uh you know they're just paying him for his name and face pete you have to wonder in this revered graphic novel that 30 plus years ago had made the illusion that he would become president if it would just be too delicious a thing for him to not appear in Yeah, and again, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying, hey, Robert Redford told Anthony and Joe Russo this was his last day filming, and he, how dare he do that for DC? I could care less about any of that stuff. If Mr. Robert Redford wants to change his mind on what mm-hmm. the last day will be, or if he wants to say, well, I said movies, this is a TV show, I'm old school. There's a there's a huge difference, you know. Um, so be it as well. But part of I don't know. Part of me. Just as the show is not really spending much time in New York, so too has the show spent precious little time in Washington, D.C. I could see a, I could see a number of paths through the next four episodes that don't cut through Vite walking into the, uh, the Oval Office and saying, Robert, now finally is the showdown since you, Dr. Manhattan, transported me to that prison. Like, we kind of don't need that. That's not this show. We need to constantly remember that our... You know, uh, our constant Pete is Tulsa. Forever pet. Committing fraud or uh, never allowing uh, pet owners to have to say goodbye. I think that they're genuinely cloning. I think that it's an imperfect science. And again, I think we should not be judging the show for its callousness. I mean, if you're angry that the show showed you that... Don't forget that what actually happened was a nice lady hired to remember words long enough for them to record them, took a puppy and put it into a little slide where there was the puppy's owner at the other end that said, good dog, here's a treat. Oh, wait, director wants to do it again. Let's go down the slide again. You know, it's not real. Let's not judge the show for this. Let's judge the society that is so callous towards, you know, I, I want my pet and I want it a certain way. And um, <laughs> if it's not that way, you know, well, well into the, what was the, uh, what were the captions, you know, sizzling flames or whatever into the sizzling flames. flames hissing. Yeah. <laughs> um, some Swidfall details, Matt on Instagram, the Watchmen account uh, put out a what to do if driving safety instructions, which is copywritten from 1987. Those big towers are uh, D-I-E. You got to love the acronym there. DIE. Uh, Dimensional Incursion Event Detection Towers. 
they will sound the alarm. You got to keep your radio volume low and listen for it. You're supposed to immediately pull over to the side of the road. Driving during squid fall is a $500 fine. Uh, you have to shelter in place in your vehicle. Do not leave your vehicle until the alarm ceases. You then have to use acid-proof squeegees to clear squid melt. Driving with squid melt on your windows is also a $500 fine. Some squids have beaks, so you need to check your windshield for puncture damage. You then have to wash your car within 24 hours to avoid something that's called squid stain. And also avoid skin-to-squid slash skin-to-squid melt contact. Remember, never eat a squid. You should also report to the uh, local authorities any of the following. Psychic manipulation, abnormal squid behavior, squids longer than 10 inches, any squid that lives longer than 30 seconds, squid showers longer than one minute, prolonged or unusual atmospheric disturbance or squids in humanoid form. The degree by which the government has taken this, you know, this attack, which let's not forget, it did not ask for, you know, this was kind of thrust upon the Nixon administration in 1985. But the fact that they've taken this, and ran with it and you can say oh you know tricky dick nixon at it again all these years later true but then pivot to redford in 1993 getting inaugurated side note pete he would have been inaugurated on the 20th not the 21st um so i don't know whether that was a writing mistake or whether that was you know uh, a meta commentary on somehow they've changed uh inauguration day for reasons that don't make sense and probably it's just a mistake but they'll claim that it has reasons um but the fact that redford has been complicit in this for longer than evil nixon and evil president gerald ford uh president 1988 to 1992 uh would have kept this secret you know we're back to this philosophical thing here of is it better to, you know, live in a paradise, you know, in a prison, that kind of thing. We've seen Vite in his gilded prison. So too is this world that they're in where people are governed by fear of a horrific attack. Which again, you know, Vite did that. Vite's the bad guy. But the fact that at the very least the American government, uh, if not other governments being aware, that they're complicit after the fact, um, it's... It, it's very, very unsettling, and I think that, once again, the show has reached a conclusion. Democrat, Republican, on the left, on the right, the problem is, you know, who watches the Watchmen? Who watches those who are in power? Because they're the most corrupt people in this show. Nostalgia banned uh, for the psychosis that it would cause. Matt, I'm going to read to you the list of possible side effects. Are you ready? I am ready. I am sitting down. In rare cases, nostalgia may exacerbate symptoms of anxiety, depression, forgetfulness, dementia, and suicidal ideation. In such instances, stop using nostalgia and seek alternative treatment. Overdosing on nostalgia might trigger one, some, or all of the following. Cardiac arrest, respiratory distress, sleeping sickness, uh, catatonia, Psychic looping, incessant weeping, laughing, 
or screaming, random or irregular erections, random or irregular vaginal wetness, involuntary orgasms, explosive flatulence or diarrhea, kidney, liver, or colon failure, and the complete collapse of the autoimmune system. The most common side effects were mild cases of fever, chills, nausea, hives, sweaty palms, dehydration, halitosis, anal leakage, insomnia, sleepwalking, and deja vu. And that's what they told you about when it was approved. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it is, it, it, it takes the ridiculousness of some of this stuff. Like, you know, uh, do, do you occasionally have, uh, you know, uh, are, are you in your 50s? Do you occasionally have knee pain? We'll take, you know, knee great. You know, uh, side effects may include, you know, instant death and explosion, things of that sort. Fugue um, state. I, I think that that warning, that warning was overwritten in the writer's room. It, you know, it's obviously meant to be a, a, a social media document in our world. It's meant to be something on Pedipedia that, that we can see. I think that they overwrote it maybe for some laughs there, but... Do I expect a whole host of those next week in the artfully done fever dream episode that's just a series of flashbacks and confusing things that only starts to make sense three quarters of the way through? Other than that, it's like, you know, Fargo season one, the episode that takes place entirely in the snow and you, you can't see anything. Uh, or it's like that Game of Thrones episode that was basically a radio episode because you couldn't see anything. It's art. Um <laughs> I think I think we're going to get a whole bunch of those things, and you know, I mean, some of them okay, explosive fat, flatulence, ha ha ha. But you know, you know, do I think it might be? Oh man, she's finally falling asleep, and somebody goes into her hospital room and says, "Oh my, it smells terrible in here." You know, I think that we'll see, <laughs> we'll see echoes I think of what the was last written there. symptom that Angela Abar would have would be uh, explosive flatulence. <laughs> uh, well, Pete, certainly time will tell tomorrow. If we get, not tomorrow, next week, if we get all of those in the episode, it will be an evening of television to remember. <laughs> um, other side effects, Matt, uh, and again, out of the Redford administration, tobacco has been outlawed. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think... I think that the decline in tobacco use in our world, that's obviously a good thing. Decline in lung cancer, decline in teen smoking, all that. Does vaping exist in alternate uh, 2019 or do people have entirely too much self-respect? Well, I mean, I think to those, you know, those like, you know, what in our in our podcast we called like those crack pipe cigarettes that were in common usage in the 80s in the graphic novel – um, maybe, maybe they were ahead of their time. Maybe with the Dr. Manhattan improvements, they, they, you know, in retrospect, you look at those now, I think, I, I, you know, somebody, a younger person reading Watchmen for the first time would be like, oh man, look, they're vaping in it. Uh, and they have electric cars. I get it. It's like, they have some future stuff there. Um, I also think too, you know, as, as positive as I think that it is this decline in tobacco use, you know, like. It is a legal thing. I'll I'll happily defend your right to make a lousy decision to smoke cigarettes if that's what you want to do and it's legal. I think that it's another bit of evidence of kind of, you know, the Redford nanny state kind of thing. Um, I think that we've seen it maybe applied with that that notion applied with more 
uh, in-universe nuance with some of the reparations and things of that sort, you know, outlawing tobacco, uh, well, clearly it's not completely gone because there she is. I mean, I don't know much about cigarettes, Pete. I suspect them being filled with dried out leaves. I don't know that you can be working off your vintage pack from 34 years ago. So presumably they're still out there in the underground Siggy market or something. <laughs> Senator Keene Jr. Uh, says uh, memorably that he's a politician, not a murderer. Um, here's the problem with that whole scene, with his whole presence in this episode. He's giving that speech to an audience which is not us. He's giving that speech to the audience that is Wade. And Wade needs to hear law and order, God and country kind of stuff. Um, I do like the suggestion that Keen, you know what, if there's uh, oaky wackos that he's just going to like lord over to make sure that they don't do dumb stuff. And that's how he can get ahead and do some public good, probably in that order. Um I think that works for him. Meanwhile, he's going to go back to Washington and be like, sure, I'll sponsor your, you know, family leave bill if you sponsor my mask bill. You know, that's some of that political horse trading there. Um, so I think he could be telling the truth, but I'm certainly not married to it. He talks about respective teams that he uh, came to Tulsa that Judd had been in charge of one team, that he's in charge of another team. Is Lady True another team leader? That's, that's a difficult question. I think that knowing that the Keene family has a history in Oklahoma, uh, a family history with uh, Judd's family, um, and, you know, obviously ditto and the reflection for Judd with the Keens, they're the ones naturally from the area. They're the ones that could easily slip back in and say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hail Hydra, hail, hail Rorschach. Uh, and no, maybe we won't fertilizer bomb today. Let's do, let, let, let's put that fertilizer in the fields instead, wackos. I mean, uh, friends, um, Lady True being the one who's been in town more recently, so I'm going to say she's on the outside of the masked tent. You brought up Hydra. We've got the squid. Redford is president in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. His character was the head of Hydra. Is Robert Redford the head of Hydra? Uh, I mean, he's the head of a left-leaning Hydra. Uh, as you know, as I said before. I think we see examples of government overreach in this show that, that go beyond the moral discussion of, uh, of reparations. Uh, I think, too, you know, term limits for presidents are a good thing for this very reason that you want to stay similar philosophy, great, but you just kind of can't rubber stamp, you know, rubber stamp, hey, the guy who's kept us from squids, let's do term three, four, five, six, seven. Um, and I suspect that you know, that mythical great politician should know that too. Now, of course, obviously most politicians also want your vote and want power and, you know, things of that sort. Um, but ultimately the Redford presidency that I'm seeing, it's a disappointing one, even though I think there's been some really great uh, social advances. Wade rejects the EDS box and then retrieves it. 
obviously the seventh cavalry shows up seconds later. Um, but it would seem he still retains that fear that he's still holding on to the trauma that he endured. I think there's that. I also think if you're inclined to be a tinfoil hat kind of person in our world or in, in his, him a bit more with the literal tinfoil hat, if that's the mode that you're in, then it is more comfortable to say, well, I know I was just shown a reasonable, albeit, you know, kind of wildly complex, but, you know, a reasonable man-made answer to all my problems in life. Or I can go with, the birth certificate, I mean, the squids are from another dimension. You know, I think that's, there's a certain ease in saying, oh, I understand that it's actually the biggest conspiracy you ever saw as opposed to something that is more plausible. Again, in the context of this show where somehow Veidt's thing is is more plausible. Uh, And Pete, ultimately, I think the sadness is that we see Wade on this road completely alone the wife has left. It's, he has a difficult time making connections, and he's he's just completely alone. Never alone, Matt, is Fantastic Geek because of all the contributors to patreon.com slash Geek. Yes, helping make sure during this time of year where the bills start to come in that, uh, that the help is felt, and we really, really do appreciate it so much. Uh, it's wonderful having this team of listeners to lend a hand. Also, some goodies on the Patreon page there as well. Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. I'm picking up some psychic transmissions from our audience. Pete, the first of those psychic transmissions from our Watchmen poll with a wallop of an episode this week. What did people think? Uh, 4% said one star, Calamari. Two star uh, for two stars, eight percent said nostalgia. Uh, another eight percent said three stars, pale horse, and then uh, 79% gave it a four star vote, mercy. Uh, and then some Twitter responses here one from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo 1984. Everything about this show is incredible, even the music is emotional. Uh, Pete, this is of course, uh, music by the duo behind uh. Uh, the social network, and also uh, that band. Yes, that would be Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross of Nine Inch Nails. Uh, then one more tweet here from James. That's at Big Killin. The NJ NYC scene was incredible. Show just keeps getting better. It does. It's the thing I've marveled in these episodes that we've seen thus far. One better building upon the previous. Uh, and Pete, we also have an email, uh, as we so oftentimes do, from our pal Steve. It reads as follows. Dear Pete and Matt, hi from the road. I'm only getting to my email today. Uh, Pete, this was sent on Tuesday uh, because I had a terrible time watching the episode. My Sunday night viewing was in Grand Junction, Colorado. It's a nice enough place, but my Motel 6 was right by the regional airport. And I had prop jobs taking off and landing all episode. All I can say is the episode reminded me of why I drive trucks in the West. They totally nailed New Jersey and all the loose women and punk head men there. I've known men who have been pulled into what they call honeypot traps, not unlike what was done to poor Wade. On the flip side, I have to tip my cowboy hat. That's right, I wear one, like real American. 
American, uh, to you boys calling out that senator as a snake in the grass. I saw it coming because I listened to you two. Wish me luck for a week of hauling. It only gets busier from here. Sincerely, 7th Cavill Steve. I can never... Well, first off, we're, we're always thankful for uh, the, the messages and to have a consistent uh, listener check in like Steve does. That being said, I can never anticipate what is going to be in his messages. And every time I'm just it, it's like another addendum to the show, Matt. I, do, I, I love the knowledge that there there he is, Pete, in, in, in the West listening to our podcast as he, as he goes throughout his day um it's definitely fulfilling i would encourage other listeners you know how you listen you know send us a send us a tweet a, a, a an email whatever it might be um because that's always fun just to know hey we're a part of your run or a part of your commute or we're part of your you know whatever it might be so thank you steve pete how can you be like steve and reach out let's start with twitter you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,849 followers can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back this weekend talking Mandalorian episode 103. That's over on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, as well as some God Friended Me at the beginning of next week before we loop back to Watchmen again. If you're here just for the Watchmen, we'll talk to you next Watchmen Wednesday. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. This could be your last chance, Oklahoma. 